Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today, we are continuing through our series called Family Survival Kit. Today, you will hear a message from Pastor Roy on the role of a father. We encourage everyone to open up their Bibles and follow along with Pastor Roy. Today, I'm going to speak on the role of a father. There was a father of five children who had won a toy at a raffle. He called his kids together to ask which one should have the present. He asked his five kids, who is the most obedient? Who never talks back to mother and who does everything mother says? Five small voices replied in unison, okay, daddy, you get the toy. Somebody else said it really doesn't matter who wears the pants in the family just so there's money in the pockets. Um, I would be rather depressed if I was to try to come up here and bring a Father's Day message and I was told that I could not use the Bible. That I had to bring a message, a challenge to tell fathers, here's some things you need to do to be encouraged in your role as a father. Because I can look at the government and I can say, well, do they have any answers? I can look at scientists or philosophers or psychologists. Do they have answers? They really don't. And so today we look at God's Word and we say God's Word has some answers for fathers today. And I'm encouraged by that. Even through history, if we were to take time to investigate Egyptian, Hebrew, Greek, or Roman literature we would discover that every one of those cultures believed that the role and responsibility of a father in the home has profound impact. They held the belief that the father should be involved in the education and discipline of his children. They held the idea that the father was to be responsible to support and protect his family. Think about those two words, support and protect. Because that suggests the notion that children do not have the knowledge, the skills, or the experience to navigate through the challenges of life without the input of a wise and loving father to offer guidance and encouragement. Now, some of you may be here today and you're like, I didn't have a father that gave me any of that. And you could very well be in that situation. But you can pick up from here and get involved in the church and rub shoulders with godly men, other godly men who can help you. Maybe you're here today and you may be an older gentleman and you never really had the modeling and the mentoring that you needed to raise your family. You're still a parent if you have children and grandchildren. And so I want to encourage you in that, that God has brought you here for such a time as this to pick up from where you are and don't merely live life looking in the rearview mirror. Even in Mesopotamian literature, these ideas are clearly taught in the Code of Hammurabi. In the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, when we looked at Deuteronomy, we saw the same thing. I want you to picture in your mind, if you would for a moment, a neighborhood where you spot a swimming pool in the backyard. You notice the swimming pool is surrounded by a fence. The fence is required by law. Why? 
to prevent a child from having access to the pool without an older person to supervise them from jumping into the pool only to discover that the water is over their head and it could cost them their very life. Do you have that picture in your mind? The small child gets through the fence because the gate was not latched properly. Or maybe they discovered how to open the gate and they're not mature enough to comprehend the danger and they jump into the pool to their own demise. Today, we have families who have children who are getting through the gate and they do not understand why the fence is even there. They do not realize the fence is there for their safety, protection, and well-being and they get on the other side of the fence and they jump into something they believe is going to give them some fun and freedom and they do not fully grasp the implications of those decisions. They face consequences they did not count on and those consequences come back and bite them and leave lasting scars. The reality is Today, we have kids drowning in loneliness, looking for friendship. We have young men drowning in fear and insecurity who have gotten hooked on video games and pornography. We have young ladies who dress provocatively because they long for someone to pay attention to them and tell them they're beautiful and will give them emotional intimacy. We have other young men drowning in peer pressure because they want to be accepted and part of a group. We have young ladies trading their bodies for what they believe to be love. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. I want you to consider for a moment a 13-year-old girl, and I made this up hypothetically, so if it relates to anybody you know, it comes from nobody I know. I totally made this up. But I want you to see the reality of what I'm sharing. Consider for a moment a 13-year-old girl named Jennifer. Jennifer is a beautiful young lady who is growing up in a home where dad decided to leave the family six years ago. Her mom has a live-in boyfriend who has no emotional connection with Jennifer. In fact, Jennifer has no fences around her life to protect her. She is given total freedom to come and go as she pleases, with no curfew time on when to be home. She also has unlimited choices on who she wants to hang out with. She dresses very scantily because she wants to attract some young man who will pay attention to her and provide her some emotional closeness for which she is starving. Fast forward three years. Now Jennifer is 16 years old, has had multiple relationships and has discovered that she is pregnant. The father is a 17-year-old boy who is failing in school. He has no car and no money. He lives with his mother. He has had no contact with his father for a few years. He is scared and encourages Jennifer to take care of the child before it's too late. He knows that he does not have the financial resources, the job, the skills, or experience to be a father to this unwanted child. He's never been committed to anything 
for more than three months in his life. He is spiritually bankrupt and he has very little contact with church as he's only been at a VBS a couple times. This scenario could be repeated over and over. The greatest problem in this scenario and others like it is the absence of a father. This brings to light the face of many modern-day families, and it sheds light on what the church needs to be doing to minister to these families. It gives us a vivid reminder of the impact of our role as a father in raising our children to serve and love God. Today, I want to share with you from God's Word four life-saving fences to place around your children. These lifesavers are much like a fence around a swimming pool. You can either respect the fence and recognize they are there to protect you as a child, or you can walk through the gate and put your life in danger of total destruction and ruin. Let's look at the first one. And it's not coming up. It's not advancing. Maybe you can get it to advance up there. Nope, that's not it. I don't have a video this morning. Let me give it to you while she tries to find it. The first life-saving fence is to teach your children to walk in the right paths. How do we do that? Well, one way we do it is by teaching them where not to walk. See, Psalm 1-1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. It is of utmost importance that we teach our children where not to walk. Why? Because where they walk will determine who they stand with and who they sit with. And who they stand with and who they sit with will impact and influence their life their values, their belief system, and what they think is right. And so we have to make sure they have the right kind of people around them. Notice it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. You will not have a wicked counselor come in with a big sign hanging around his chest saying, I'm a wicked counselor. Beware. I've never seen it yet. It's not that overt. It's very subtle because it depends on where they stand and where they sit. That's vital. If they stand with the wrong people, if they sit with the wrong people, if you hang out with me, a wicked counselor says, I will teach you some really nasty habits. I will teach you how to disrespect your parents. I will teach you how to undermine their authority. I will teach you about the real world. Wicked counsel has a message that is contrary to the teaching of the Bible. It will encourage you to embrace things that are opposed to God's word. It will teach you to walk through the fence in the gate and jump in the pool that you thought you were prepared to be in, only to find out it sucks you under and squeezes the life out of you. Listen to me, young people. Listen to me, fathers. Impart 
to your children where they should walk, who they should be around, who they should be influenced by. Because I'm telling you, Hollywood has influence. The media, if you go sit in a movie theater and you listen to a movie that has a message that is contrary to Scripture, you are placing yourself under wicked counsel. Do you hear me? Wicked counsel. And then you wonder, where did the kids get those kind of words? Where did they pick up that kind of idea? Hollywood. They've got a message that they are presenting, and it is not biblical in many ways, shapes and forms. Wicked counsel comes in the form of friends who have ideas that reject God's instruction. We need to teach our children where to walk. He goes on to say in Psalm 1-2, and I encourage you, if you have your Bible, look it up. Psalm 1-2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's where they need to walk, in the truth of God's word. Let me read to you just quickly from 1 John chapter 1. Listen to this in verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him, with Christ, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. If we are walking in wicked counsel, we are walking in darkness, and when we walk in darkness, we are not having fellowship with God. And when we don't have fellowship with God, we are not pleasing God. We are placing ourselves like walking through the fence and jumping in a pool that we cannot navigate. It will swallow us alive. Verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he, Christ, is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Dads, can you find those scriptures in the Bible? because you're familiar with it? Can you open the Bible with your kids and sit down and say, here's why I don't want you going over here because the Bible says and warns us. This is what dads need to do because the kids don't know the Bible. And we as dads should know the Bible so that we can open God's word to them and say, here's the danger, son. Here's the danger, daughter. When you dress like that, it's a concern. The wicked counsel that is there. Notice what it says here in Psalm 119, verse 114. You are my refuge, talking about God, and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. Notice refuge and shield. There is a protection when we put our hope in God, and we put our hope in God when we take his word into our life. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against God. And we've got to do that on a regular basis in our lives. Notice here in Psalm 128, verse 1, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. This is what's going to encourage me as a dad, is that I'm walking in the fear of God, and now I'm encouraging my child to walk in the fear of God by watching me. Not that I'm doing it perfectly, because I don't. Not that you do it perfectly, but you are trying, striving to walk in the fear of God. What does it mean to walk in the fear of God? I like this little quote by Adrian Rogers, who's now home with the Lord. He said, what does it mean to fear God? Here's what he says. I like to think it's simply love on its knees. The one who loves God the best fears God the most. I like that. 
loving God on our knees. Dad, when's the last time you got on your knees before God? On behalf of your family. When's the last time you got on your knees for your children, with your children, and taught them how to pray, how to walk with God? He goes on to say in this Psalm 128.3, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Look what it says about sons. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Do you know that only a healthy tree can bring off the olive shoots? And do you know what it does? Do you know what a, a fresh olive shoot does? It produces fruit. And in godly spiritual talk it produces righteousness and if that tree is producing fruit the way it continues to produce fruit is it is cultivated on a regular basis and when a tree is cultivated an olive tree is cultivated it can produce fruit for 20 generations <laughs> that's a wonderful thing and notice it says within your house your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. We have families today that they're not only not around the table, they don't even know where their kids are, <laughs> who they're with. And what a blessing to be around the table and have spiritual talk around the table, around God's word, around the things that the kids are dealing with so we can teach them and instruct them in the ways of God. What a blessing that is. For us to have that opportunity as a parent. We've had many discussions around our table about spiritual things. And I would encourage you to do that as well. One person said some families can trace their ancestry back 300 years but can't tell you where their children were last night. But this olive tree is a symbol of fruitfulness and righteousness and the only way it will produce that is by cultivation and care, diligence and determination. Fathers, teach your sons how to be a man. Teach your daughters how to be a lady. Build into them integrity, commitment, and character. How to dress, how to carry themselves. What to look for in a friend. I want to just share with you a couple things that we have used. FamilyLife.org, if you go there, Resurrection Eggs. There are special things around holiday time that you can use. And on Easter, every Easter, even this past Easter, with our boys at their age, we brought out the Resurrection Eggs and walked through it again. And it has all the things in there that talk about what Christ did on the cross. It has the spear that pierced his side. It has the stone that was rolled away from the tomb. It has the cloth that his body was wrapped in. It has the three pieces of silver. I wish it was real silver, but it's not. <laughs> but it's all there. And it walks through the story to tell them the true meaning of Easter. It's not about Easter bunnies. It's about Christ. And so we teach them that. These are wonderful things, nice little plastic eggs that you can walk through with little kids. Hide the eggs. Let them find them. Bring it back. Talk about the Easter story. Uh, we did another thing. I believe this is the name of it. It's been a while since we used this because we used this when the boys were really young. What God wants for Christmas. And in the very end, it has a little mirror there and it looks in it. God wants you. That's what he wants. He wants you. 
But take advantage of these resources that are out there. A devotional we've been using recently is One Year Book of Youth Devotions by Josh McDowell. Because all of us aren't John MacArthur at the dinner table, let's face it. So, but we have resources there to help us. And we can pull that out and we can read that and there's some questions there and things and peer pressures and things that kids deal with are right there in that book to encourage them. And if these don't work for you, I would like to know what does. Tell me what works for you, how you are making it work uh, in your family. Let's go on to the second life-saving fence. Teach your children not only to walk in the right ways, but teach your children to talk with the right words. This is crucial. I can't tell you how depressed I get sometimes when I hear about the language coming out of the mouth of young people that are in church and Christian school and they talk just as bad if not worse than people that aren't in church at all. And you know how I know that? I ask my boys. They use language. They use language. I ask. They don't tattle. I ask. I want to know. And it grieves my heart. We need to teach our kids how to express themselves with proper speech. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It says something about our heart. Notice what it says here. Our speech should be clean. Um, Proverbs 4.24 says this. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. It's interesting how young people can talk one way in front of their parents and a totally different way in front of their friends. That's a sign there's something wrong. He goes on to say in Ephesians 5.4, Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, rather thanksgiving. Indecent speech is unthinkable for a Christian. It really is. It should not happen. Filthy language is forbidden for the believer in Christ. It's forbidden. If this verse makes you squirm in your seat, it's the Holy Spirit putting his finger on a problem in your life. What are you going to do about it? Giving you a chance to correct it. When our speech is held up in the light of God's truth, does it make us feel ashamed? Let's just talk about a couple of these words. Foolish talk, stupid or rash conversation. He says there shouldn't be that. We need to be careful with our tongue. Coarse joking, vulgar speech for the purpose of exciting mirth or laughter. The class clown. He wants everybody to laugh, and so he's able to share something vulgar or dirty. And yet, we're the name Christian. Is that how you want your kids to talk when you become a dad? When you become a mom? Because you're in preparation for that right now as a child. You're, you have an opportunity to develop your character and courage and to take a stand for Christ. And I would encourage you to do that. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Proverbs 13. I just want to share a couple of Proverbs with you and I I didn't put them on the screen because I'd like you to look them up in your Bible. Proverbs 13, 3 
says, he who guards his lips guards his life. But he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Notice the safety there. He who guards his lips guards his life. But he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. There's something there to be said about our speech. Flip over one more chapter to Proverbs 14, verse 3. A fool's talk brings a rod to his back, but the lips of the wise protect them. These are the verses we need to instill in our kids about their speech. They need to be reminded, what does God say about speech? How am I supposed to talk? Proverbs 18, flip over to Proverbs 18, verse 6 and 7. A fool's lips bring him strife, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his undoing, and his lips are a snare to his soul. So our speech needs to be clean. Secondly, our speech should be respectful and honorable. Whether you're talking with a parent, a sibling, a friend, adult, an authority... They need to be taught how to speak to others. And they need to be reminded that how they speak to other people reflects the attitude of their heart. The attitude of the heart is either governed by my relationship with God or my lack thereof. We also need to teach them to express thankfulness and kindness as well. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Giving thanks in all things. Using words like please, thank you, excuse me. Teach them to look in the eye when they're talking to other people and not looking down at their screen or their cell phone. That can be disrespectful. And kids need to be taught to be engaged in that. When we sit down and play a game as a family, it's like put away the cell phone. We're not doing texting and playing a game at the same time. <laughs> That's not respectful. And so we put it away and deal with it in that way. I'm thankful because today I ran into two small kids in the hallway, and I'll have to try to remember their names. One of them thanked me for their birthday card. I was like, wow, that was cool. And another one thanked me for something else. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I, he dropped his uh, work from Sunday school, and I reached down and picked it up for him, and he said, thank you. <laughs> I thought that was so neat. Uh, so you're, some parents are doing quite well with that, and I encourage you to keep it, keep it up. Let's look at the third life-saving fence. Teach your children to think with the right thoughts. Teach them to think with the right thoughts. And I think where we start with this is we teach our children about the enemy of their soul. They need to know that there's an enemy out there who is trying to attack them and destroy them. They need to know that. And so where do we go in Scripture? John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I am come that they might have life and have it to the full. What does Satan want to do? He wants to steal the minds of our kids. He wants to kill them and destroy them. And we as fathers are to protect and guide our children. To tell them about the danger that is out there. 
to teach them how to think biblically. And the only way we can do that is we've got to teach God's word. And it's a challenge. We get so busy in life, but I encourage you to evaluate your schedule and think through your schedule and do what is necessary. What about Sunday at lunchtime? Do you take time to talk about the sermon? Do you take time to talk about what they heard in Sunday school? Do you take time to invest in them? It's not going to just happen. It takes concerted effort to do it. Uh, but teach them to think with the right thoughts. Teach them to be discerning. If they're going to think the right thoughts, they're going to have to be discerning. Proverbs 2.11 says this, Discretion will what? Protect you. And understanding will guard you. Notice those words, protect and guard. God's word is there to do that. But discretion comes. And how does that discretion come? As we filter everything we get, all the messages through the word of God. That's what's going to protect us. Discernment is like a man's beard. It doesn't show up until he grows up. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that. Um, you're not dis as discerning at 12 as you are at 26. And we need to understand that as parents, and we need to remind our kids they have to be taught and shaped. And sometimes it takes a long time. And I'm sure my parents probably wonder, is he ever going to get it? Is he going to get it? Um, and eventually you do. Um, and we need to hang in there and do it. He said, my son preserves sound judgment and discernment. Do not let them out of your sight. And if you're a young man here today, I encourage you to go through the book of Proverbs and begin to write down. There are so many different themes in there. Go through it and write it. And, and this, that book alone will guide you in your young life and help you establish the character that God wants you to have. Help them develop a biblical world view. A biblical world view. What am I talking about when I talk about a biblical world view? That their meaning of life, the existence and nature of God are derived from the Bible and not something else. How they understand life, how they understand the nature and existence of God should come from the Bible and nothing else. I don't watch much evening TV because I don't think there's much fit to watch. But I did notice here a couple of weeks ago there was a program that was being advertised that was coming out on June 8th. Maybe you heard about it. It's called Becoming Us. This new ABC family TV premiered on June 8th at 9 o'clock, an unscripted show that chronicles the life of a 17-year-old boy named Ben Lewald of Evanston, Illinois. Listen, as his father Charlie transitions to become Carly. The docu-series from Ryan Seacrest Productions will take Ben's perspective as he watches his dad divorce his mom, Susie, before undergoing gender reassignment surgery. This series will also focus on Ben's girlfriend, Danielle, whose dad is also transitioning into a woman. 
Now, why are they putting that on TV? Because they're trying to teach kids that this is normal. And it's not. It's anti-biblical. And we need to teach our kids, when we see these things, talk about it. And say, you know what? What do you think about that? How do you understand that? How do you interpret that? And bring them back to the scripture. They need to know the relevance of God's word. And here's what the guy said. I want to be able to provide guidance for kids who are going through it. That was his reason. Guidance. Before Becoming Us debuted, Discovery Life introduced a show called New Girls on the Block on April 11th. The unscripted series follows eight people, six of whom are transgender women. Also this summer, TLC will unveil All That Jazz, a show focusing on a 14-year-old transgender activist. So they're attacking our minds, and us as dads have to protect the home. We've got to teach our kids how to think. Henry Blaymeyers wrote a book called The Christian Mind, and he said to think secularly is to think within a frame of reference bounded by the limits of our life on earth. It is to keep one's calculations rooted in this world criteria. To think Christianly is to accept all things within the mind as related directly or indirectly to man's eternal destiny as the redeemed and chosen child of God. The psalmist is encouraging us to begin with God, continue with God, and end with God, and to do so with all of our thoughts and actions. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's what we need to be thinking on. Talk with your kids about the worldview that is communicated in a movie. Is it biblical or unbiblical? Does it support what God says or seek to undermine what God says? What about the video games they're playing? What is the purpose of the game? What kind of values are being taught as they sit before the screen or the monitor and occupying their mind? Let me go on to the last one here. The fourth life-saving fence, teach your children to behave with the right discipline. Discipline is critical. And this takes active, not passive, fathers to do this. Give your children clear boundaries. It is vital that they have boundaries. Listen to this verse in Proverbs 12, 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. And one of the ways we discipline our kids and teach them discipline is we put boundaries around them. Here's the curfew time. Here's this. Here's that. And set the boundaries for them so they know what they are. And here's the consequences if you go beyond that boundary. It's vital that we set those boundaries for our kids. Don't be wishy-washy. Be clear so they know what they are. You'll remember the dysfunction that took place within the walls of even King David's palace. 
King David was so busy maybe with the affairs of being a king, let's think for a moment about his family. His son, Amnon, raped his daughter, Tamar. Another son, Absalom, killed Amnon for his heinous act. Later, Absalom rebels against his father and concocts a plan to take over the throne and got assassinated in the process. Later on, his son Adonijah conspired to take David's throne, and shortly after Adonijah was proclaimed as king, Solomon had Adonijah killed. One raped daughter, one son a rapist, one son a murderer, two murdered sons, and two secret plans to overtake the throne. Was there something David forgot to do as a dad? Yes. In 1 Kings 1.6, here's what it says. His father had never interfered with him by asking, why do you behave as you do? <laughs> never bothered to ask. Didn't want to interfere with his kids' lives. God has given us our children to not just interfere, but to invest in their lives, to guide them in everything that they're going through. So we give them clear boundaries. Secondly, spanking is necessary at times. <coughs> um, I had a few of those, and my guess is many of you have as well. And it is necessary, and it is biblical. Here's what the Bible says, Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares the rod, in other words, doesn't spank, hates his son. Now, I didn't say that. God says that. But he who loves him is careful to discipline him. And what does it tell us in Hebrews 12, 6? The Lord disciplines every son he loves. The reason I discipline is because I love them. And I'm trying to put the fence around them to protect them. And sometimes it requires spanking. Now we're past that stage at this age. But they had their share of it. Notice he says, a boy is like a canoe. He behaves better if paddled from the rear. <laughs> it can help. A warm seat seems to get the blood flowing in the mind. I don't know. It just seems to do that. Um, sometimes the best way to straighten out a child is by bending him over they'll straighten up and it helps Proverbs 23 13 and 14 do not withhold discipline from a child if you punish him with the rod he will not die punish him with the rod and save his soul from death what are you doing you're protecting your son or your daughter and it's not just punishment, it's correction. Bringing that into their life. It's vital that we do that. It is not optional, it is essential. A couple other things. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. My boys had these verses, read them to them several times <laughs> as we were going through that discipline. Make sure the punishment fits the crime. In other words, don't over-punish. Children and teenagers need to clean up what they mess up. They need to fix up what they broke up, if they can. 
If he hits his brother or sister, he needs to ask God to forgive him, and he needs to ask his brother or sister to forgive him as well. One of the things we did with our boys when they were young is after we spanked them, we hugged them. It was a balance of love and discipline. And we shared God's word and said, here's why we're disciplining you this way. Because God says to do this. God says that the foolishness will be driven out of you when I put this wooden spoon on your behind. <laughs> and we broke a couple wooden spoons. <laughs> I mean, it's necessary um, to do that. But make sure the punishment fits the crime. Make sure the discipline is severe enough to feel the pain. Say, it hurts. It's supposed to. Why? Because when you do wrong, it hurts. Yeah, when you do wrong, it hurts. Whether it's a spanking or losing a privilege, the goal is to help the child realize that it is painful to make bad choices and you want to discourage them from repeating the behavior. Correct the misbehavior immediately if possible. Don't wait three days. <laughs> if you're in the middle of the store, it's kind of hard to do it. But as soon as you have the opportunity, you need to try to correct that so they can understand the correction and discipline and don't delay in doing it. Because kids are notorious for getting you to postpone the discipline. <laughs> hey, let, let's put that off. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's, you know, that's okay to talk about, but bring the discipline also make sure the discipline is reasonable and loving don't expect the better behavior from a child more than the child is capable of producing and don't expect perfection from your child don't discipline them in anger reaffirm your love for them let them know you love them but you're disappointed with their behavior there was probably a time or two where I was pretty upset when I disciplined. And then I had to say, I'm sorry. Uh, we have to, as parents, be willing to say we're sorry if we don't do right. And I would usually follow that up with, I'm sorry because I did not represent Christ well to you. I think that's the key. We are representing Christ to our kids. And if we don't represent him well, we should apologize. Because that's who we reflect as a parent. They need to make sure that they know that God is disappointed with their behavior too. Pray with them about their behavior. Have them confess their sins to God and help them do better next time. That's our role as dads. There are four life-saving fences that we have to give to our kids. And we want to teach them. We want to teach them to walk in the right paths, to talk with the right words, to think with the right thoughts, to behave with the right discipline. Let's stand for a word of prayer. I'll ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. It's a heavy topic. It's a heavy role. The role of a father is not easy. But it's not impossible. 
God can give us the strength that we need. Our kids need us to be a godly dad, to stand up and be counted, to be actively involved in their lives, to know that we care about them, that they're more important than my hobby, my job, or anything else. They are important. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, let me just ask you for a moment, how are you doing, Dad? At constructing these life-saving fences. I want to encourage you to build the fence, to keep building the fence. Those, some of you are in the later years and you have grandchildren. I want to encourage you to try to build the fence around your grandchildren. Talk with them. Have them out for a specific conversation about their relationship with God. Be intentional about those relationships. Make your time around the dinner table, whether it's Sunday afternoon or a Thursday night or whatever the case might be. Use those times to talk and invest in your children. Maybe you're here today and you've never asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. That's the first step, especially of being able to live for the Lord. And I would encourage you, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this is an opportunity for you to respond. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin and shed his blood. You could be forgiven, that I could be forgiven of my sin. And you can have a brand new life in Jesus Christ. I invite you on this Father's Day to give your life to Christ if you don't know him personally. Whether you're a small child or a grown adult, I invite you. Let's bow together for a word of prayer.